welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 115. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. It is April. As you're hearing this, uh, if you're hearing it when it first goes out, spring has sprung. I think the snow is finally done, at least where we're at. And there are old games to play, so really nothing to complain about. Oh, Today, uh, hanging out with us in the studio, for no apparent reason, is, uh, I don't know, who are you? Me! <laughs> You're gonna have to be a little more specific. <laughs> I'm Sophie. Yeah, Sophie's hanging out with us in the studio today. Why are you hanging out in the studio today, Sophie? Because I'm a celebrity and people love me. <sighs> oh, okay. <laughs> so what's going on, Sophie? How's life? What's new? Nothing. Nothing? When you go on a podcast, you got to have you know, like an anecdote to tell or a story. I don't story. know what that word means. <laughs> a story. you got to have something interesting to tell people. Um, Easter's in two days. Yeah, as we're recording this. We're recording this a little early because of some upcoming things we got to do and some travel and stuff. So uh, as we're recording, it's still a couple days before Easter. The Easter Bunny is busy uh, hatching all those Easter eggs. It's a rough time of year for the Easter Bunny. <laughs> got to hatch like a billion Easter eggs. Uh, dude's gonna be tired. It's a four-day weekend. Yeah, Sophie has a four-day weekend. That's a pretty good deal. Uh, so what are you doing with your four-day weekend? I'm going to Grandma and Grandpa's, and we're gonna have a party. But don't tell Mom. Okay. Well, before the party starts, let's do a Mad Mike Hughes update. What What's do you think that? of that, Sophie? Oh, man, you've missed the ongoing saga of Mad Mike Hughes. This is a dude out in California... He's like a limousine driver or something. And he is also an amateur rocket builder. So he has built a rocket to carry himself up and way up into the sky. Because uh, he wants to take pictures of the Earth from above. And because he thinks he can prove that the Earth is actually flat. I guess I'll back up a minute. Is the Earth flat or round, Sophie? It's round. Yeah. Does anybody at school teach you that the Earth is flat? No. No. They get mad at us if we say the Earth is flat. <laughs> So, well, but Mad Mike is a dude who thinks the Earth might be flat. And there are apparently lots of people out there who agree with him. So, but it's not, because people have been up there and they see the Earth so is round. a couple weeks ago, as this episode is going out, he actually did manage to get his rocket launched. He's been trying for several months to do it. He's had some mechanical problems. But he finally got it off the ground. He went up like 1,800 feet in the sky. That's a lot of feet. That's a lot of feet. But he didn't really get any pictures. Didn't really prove anything one way or the other. And I think he broke his rocket. So now he's trying to fix it. Oops. And supposedly he's going to launch again sometime. But we don't know when. So I'm going to check in with his Facebook page. And I'm going to see if he's posted anything new. No. Nothing new. The last thing he posted was on March 25th as I'm recording this. And it was the video from Noise TV. The internet service that broadcast the launch. No proof yet that the Earth is flat. So don't go to school next week and tell your teachers that the Atari Bytes podcast told you the Earth was flat. <laughs> Okay, oh. so this human wanted to send my dog to space. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, what she's talking about is earlier today I suggested that maybe our dog could be the first dog on Mars. Uh, that's all I said. I, you know, pushing the boundaries of science. I think our dog should be at the forefront of space exploration. I see no problem with that. I do. Why? Because she doesn't even like to ride in the car. Well, that is an excellent point. She gets kind of nervous in the car, so... I would just be... And when you cook on the stove. Yeah, she doesn't like it when things sizzle on the stove. She doesn't like cars. Yeah, maybe the space thing isn't a good idea. I'll have to rethink that. So I'm going to stop work on the on the dog rocket that I'm building in the backyard. Wait, what? <laughs> we'll talk about it later. Don't tell Mom. All right, so what else is new? Oh, boys and girls, as this episode is going out, it is one week before the Midwest Gaming Classic in Milwaukee. And who's going to be at the Midwest Gaming Classic? Well, Me! Yeah. yeah, exactly. There's going to be you know a bunch of uh, famous game designers and people selling stuff and podcasters. But most of all, there's going to be Sophie. Sophie's going to be at the Midwest yeah. Gaming Classic along with me. In my pink shirt. And my long-suffering spouse. We're dragging her along. And of course, the legendary, the one, the only, Henry, will be in the podcast booth. 
at the uh, at the Midwest Gaming Classic. Why can't uh, I be legendary? Well, you are, but Henry's made more appearances on the show than you have. But I'm a more celebrity. Uh, you're a more celebrity? <laughs> I'm a bigger celebrity. All right. You can't imagine anything better than a whole weekend of being surrounded by people playing video games, can you? Yes, I can. I can be <laughs> shopping all weekend. <laughs> But well, no, there's, no, they'll be I gotta shopping. I got to go to some games. They'll be shopping. They'll yeah, be... for video games. <laughs> yes, well, yes, video games, but they'll be, uh, now I've never been there, but I imagine there'll be people selling video games. Shoes? Controllers. There'll probably be some clothes, I would guess. I don't know about shoes, but there'll be some, like, you know, Atari t-shirts probably and, and uh, Sega t-shirts. But I already got an Atari t-shirts t-shirt. with, like, um, oh, I don't know, Mario on them and... And the uh, the uh, gorilla from Rampage. I'm a 12 year old uh, girl. Maybe I don't Yar, want to maybe Yar from Yar's Revenge will be on a T-shirt. I don't know. Who's that? Uh, it's a video game, very well known video game, among people who care about that stuff. So, so not me. You're gonna have an awesome time. You can play games. You can shop. You can stand in my at my table and promote my podcast because I'll be doing that, folks. As I've been telling you now for a while, I'm gonna have a booth. A table for Atari Bytes at the uh, at the Gaming Classic. I hope I have met some of you there, as well as some of the other podcasters that I've gotten to know. Are you going to get a selfie stick to take selfies with them? I have made it a personal goal in my life to never, ever own a selfie stick. But what if your fans need to take pictures of me? And then they can just take a pic. Well, maybe I don't want them to take a picture of you. They can take a picture of me. But I'm a celebrity! Uh, I know, but uh, anyway... I doubt that there'll be a whole lot of picture taking of us. Ugh. We do an audio podcast. Who cares what we look like? We're not like on TV. But I'm beautiful. People need to see how pretty I am. We could get a YouTube channel. Then we could be on video. People would actually see us doing what we're doing right now. That'd be pretty exciting TV, wouldn't it? But then we wouldn't be able to sit here in our pajamas and record. Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, I haven't, <laughs> I'm wearing my jammies and I haven't shaved yet today. Who wants to see that on YouTube? No one. Just a dude sitting here drinking coffee, talking into a microphone <laughs> with the celebrity. Yeah. I, I realized that. So maybe for that episode, for YouTube, I could clean up a little bit and we could we could put your face on YouTube. Anyway, <laughs> what else is new? It's read... Friday and we're not at school. Yes. Also, I read something. This is probably old news for you guys listening to this by, by now, but the ongoing saga of Atari VCS formerly known as the Atari Box. Atari has apparently put it on hold again because they want to rethink what they're doing with their soon-to-be $250 new video game console. I'm still having a hard time getting excited or upset about it. Uh, I realize the internet is both, well, there are various degrees of indifferent to annoyed about the new VCS, particularly now that they've decided to call it the VCS, which is what the old Atari that I'm looking at right now on my shelf excuse me, is called. But it is kind of a big story, so I feel like I should mention it every so often. But apparently they are retooling, whatever that means. I want them to add a slot where you can actually put old cartridges into it. I get that it's going to have, you can stream games and you can download games on your, you know, ROMs on there and all that. And that's all good. But I want to actually be able to play my cartridges. So I want them to put a slot in there for, for the old cartridges. So uh, Mr. Atari... I don't actually know who runs Atari now. Do you know who runs Atari now? Me. Okay. Sophie, you see that little slot in there where you stick the cartridge in to play the game? Yeah. I want them to put one of those. They're, they're making a brand new one of those, only it'll be more like a modern video game console, right? You can plug it in a computer. You can download like stuff onto Xbox? it. Like an Xbox? Yeah. It's not going to look like an Xbox. It's going to look like that. Cause it's it, not modern. Well, no. It, it's, gonna lo- it's just going to look like that, but it's going to have all modern technology in it. But I like to play, I don't know where I put the cartridge now, but I like to play, you know, like these. These are the old style cartridges. Oh, sorry, everyone. Here, can you guys see this in the back? No. All right. I can't see it. I know, that's the joke, Sophie. We make jokes on this show. (laughs) Ha ha! Oh, oh. Oh, get ready. I have a joke. (laughs) All right, here's where we have a random interruption (laughs) the proceedings so that Sophie can tell a joke. Go ahead. Okay. Wait, hold on. Let me think. All right, you come back to that. Okay. So, I, I don't know. I still think $250 is pretty pricey for what appears to be technology that you can already do other places for much less. So, 
I think really what I want is for when the VCS, as they're calling it now, does finally roll out, I just want to know somebody who has one so I can go play it for free. Which is really kind of my goal with most things in life, is to know somebody else who has one so that I can do it for free. I remember my joke. All right, well, before we get on to the next thing, please, Sophie, tell us your joke. Okay, hold on. There's going to be no episode today because Daddy lost his cartridge. Sorry. I didn't lose my cartridge. I just misplaced it at the moment, and I don't need it right now, smarty pants. No, I'm wearing purple pants. Yeah, all right. Was that your joke, I (laughs) hope? No. Oh, sorry, folks. He's got another one. Okay. Hey. What? You told everyone sorry. I did. All right, go ahead. Tell your joke. Okay, you have to be a part in this, too. Oh, good. Okay, so I say I see a bunch of cows. Now you say I see a herd of cows. I, I know my line, Henry, or Sophie. You mean a herd of cows? Yes, I've heard of cows. Ha 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 Oh, hold on. Maybe I've got a, uh, I've got the perfect thing to put right there. Not that thing. He found this new app that makes sounds for him. So anyways, while he's looking for that. Go ahead, keep talking. If you're going to send me gifts, because you know I'm a celebrity. I like shoes, and I'm a size 4, 5, 6, and 7. Make up your mind. What size are you? No, because I have boots that are 4s, and then, like, all my fancy shoes, like, my sandals and my dress boots are 5s. And my tennis shoes... Shh, talking. My tennis shoes are 6s, and so are my sneaker things. And then... My moccasins are sevens. Well, that was fascinating. My soundboard let me down. Uh, anyway, folks, uh, tell, say the last line of your joke again. Yes, I've heard of cows. All right, now everybody listening, just imagine that you heard a rim shot right there. I thought I had one on my soundboard. You know, when after the end Would of the you? joke. Beep. Yeah, that one. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Da 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 da. We got a little bit of feedback. Sean, longtime friend of the show and podcaster. Sean, hi, Sean. I know you're listening to this, too. Hi, Sean. We're probably going to meet him at the Classic. So look forward to that. What if I don't want to meet him? <laughs> you can just turn your back on him, I guess. Anyway, Sean is the host of uh, co-host of Pie Factory mm-hmm. and uh, host of the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast, which are both fine shows, and I know you're already listening to them anyway, but if you're not, go do that thing after you download seven or eight more episodes of this show. Do it! So, we got a little feedback from him about the pinball episode, which was... uh, I don't know. 113, I think? He forgot! Oh, he's cheating. Yeah, I think it was 113. We played video pinball, and Sean had thoughts. Were they good thoughts? Yes. Indeed. Okay, because I would have yelled at him. Just so you know, listen to the um, Charlie his Charlie Brown podcast that I'm on. I'm on one of them. I do host another show called It's a Podcast Charlie Brown. Drops monthly on the 15th. Sophie did make an appearance on the uh, episode in March, I believe. Uh, so yeah, go ahead and look for that. Anyway, regarding video pinball, Sean writes... Video Pinball was always one of my favorite 2600 games. My brother and I could spend hours on that thing just on one game. Got to the point where one of us would lose a ball, we could take a sandwich break while waiting for the numeric rollover to count down the bonus points. Aw, man. I can't count how many times people have had to eat a sandwich waiting for my score to roll down. Uh, I'm lying, of course. The only game that I ever played regularly as a kid where I got close to that was Mega Mania. It got to the point where nobody would play with me play that game with me because especially if it was like a two-player game because i was too good at it and they would have to wait forever and get bored while i was doing my turn no one would no one will play board games with me because i always win and just you know i beat my father in uno anyway continuing with sean's note uh, i remember when my brother came home from the army either on one of his leaves or after his discharge in 86 One of the first things he did was fire up the 2600 and play some video pinball because he missed it. I never played Midnight Magic until I finally acquired it a few years ago. Gotta tell you, it looks much more realistic, much more like a real pinball machine, but I don't like it. 
I find it boring and the table just seems empty. Every time I try to play it, I get bored and switch to video pinball. I have heard, I've never played Midnight Magic, but I have heard that it is very realistic looking. Uh, I am kind of curious to see it. I may have to go look for a copy of that. Sean continues, It's interesting that Atari put out three video pinball games. First the dedicated console in 77, then the arcade game in 79, and of course the 2600 game. And all three of them are completely different. I'll take your word for that, I've never seen the other two. Same title, different games. But what I find more interesting is that Namco actually beat Atari to releasing an arcade pinball video game in 78. It was called GB, and was designed by Toru Iwatani, the creator of Pac-Man. When he was hired at Namco, he wanted to design pinball machines, but Namco was looking to move into video games. His compromise was GB, which is kind of a combination breakout pinball game. Hmm, that sounds interesting. There was a sequel called Bombi, released the following year. I guess you could consider it the predecessor to Jinx on the 7800. I gotta tell you, Sean, you really know your video pinball games. I'm impressed. And then he wraps up with the uh, obligatory uh, compliments. Enjoying the podcast as usual. Looking forward to meeting you in a couple weeks. Uh, unless Sophie convinces me not to talk to you, as she evidently has, <laughs> without even knowing who you are, has some sort of grudge against you. So I hope it doesn't get awkward uh, in Milwaukee. Do you want to, like, say a nice thing to Sean now? He probably feels bad, even though we haven't even met him yet. <laughs> Hi! Okay. Hey, guess what, guys? I made waffles. Okay, Sophie. Nobody really cares what you had for breakfast. Yes, they do, because Nobody my waffles... Nobody cares when you post what you had for breakfast on social media, and they definitely don't care when you talked about it on a podcast. No, because my waffles are the best waffles ever. They're even better than all yours. And for the record, the waffles would have been better if there was some bacon to go with them. Just saying. Well, that's not my problem. <laughs> I can't go to the store and get some bacon. I know. Anyway, uh, one more thing. I forgot on the last episode to mention that X-Files Season 11 wrapped up, and I am sad to see it go. Yeah, Sophie's not sad at all. I thought it was a good season, much better than Season 10. They did some interesting things. One or two episodes are gonna probably going to go down as classic uh, all-time X-Files episodes. One or two are probably episodes are probably going to be rightly forgotten. It was good. I am certain that Fox is going to make some more X-Files of some sort in the future. I am both curious and worried about what that's going to be. But like somebody said on one of the podcasts I was listening to recently, even if you don't like the new stuff, and this applies to any show or movie or books or whatever, or games, if you don't like the new stuff, who cares? You still got all the great old stuff to uh, go back to. Um, so You're you- just saying that because you play old stuff. I do. But they're, you know, even with Atari games, there are, you know, people who play a lot of Atari games, there are some games they like, some games they don't like. The bad games don't make the good games bad. You know, you just you play the ones you like. So, that's my thought. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts on the X-Files? The dude almost died. Well, on the, lots of people die or almost die on the X-Files, but characters that they want to bring back don't tend to stay dead. They figure out a way to bring them back. But uh, he's dead! Alright, let's get on with this week's game. This week's game is... Well, that space game there looks like a thrill a minute. Why not try a real blast? Laser Blast by Activision. A new breed of game cartridge for your Atari video computer system. Battle endless attackers, fight their force fields, and dodge their radar tracking systems. It's light years away from all those other space games. What other space games? Laser Blast by Activision. Laser Blast. Woo! From Activision. We love us some Activision around here. And this game is from 1981. As laser, as Activision manuals always do, we get a little blurb on the front of the manual. This one says, Get set for the battle of your life. With Laser Blast by Activision, you're up against enemy attackers in a space shootout that defies description. But please, take time out to read these instructions. They're full of helpful hints on how to handle some very relentless adversaries. Good luck and good shooting. Alright, so we're setting up the game. The difficulty switches have no effect on this game. There are four different games to choose from. Game 1 is cadet level, game 2 is lieutenant level, game 3 is captain level, and game 4 is commander level. I played on cadet level when I was goofing around with it this morning, and that level was plenty hard enough for me just starting out. The difference between games is how rapidly the speed and living rate, sorry, firing rate of the enemy ground attackers improves as the game progresses. The relative difficulty 
of an attack group is calculated by multiplying the speed times the firing rate for that group. And they have a nice little chart to explain how what that means. I'm holding it up here for you. Everybody in the back, can you see that? They can't see it. That's why it's funny. I explained that already. It's not funny. You're teasing them. <laughs> That's not nice. What, you offered them waffles, and they can't have any? No, I didn't. They can have waffles. I'll deliver it to their house. Oh, don't promise that. Somebody will email me and be all mad because they didn't get their waffles. <laughs> wow. And this little chart, they explain that, for example, at captain and commander levels, the most difficult attack groups are 30 times, 32 times as difficult as the easiest. Wow. Anyway. I had trouble on the easy one. So you push your joystick. Thank you, Sophie. So you push your joystick up to begin play. Start a new game. Press the game reset. Joystick is used to pilot your spacecraft. You can only pilot one ship at a time. Pull the joystick forward to lower your ship and push it away to raise your ship. Move your joystick left or right to move your ship left or right, obviously. Sometime I want them to make an Atari game where it messes with you and it's like, if you want to go to the right, you have to push the joystick to the left. And if you want to go to the left, you have to push it to the right. And, you know, stuff like that. But I'm kind of weird. So, hey, everyone. So be good. was talking... Well, he came in, but we had a special visitor. His name is Zorro, with a Z, not an S. For those of you that think it's an S, I don't know why. Nobody cares. Yes, they do. What if there's, like, a crazy cat lady listening? Uh, I, okay. Anyway, get on with your story. And so he came in, and he tried to drink some of Dad's coffee. He did. He tried to take a big slurp out of my mug. Oh well. When your joystick is in the center, your sh- center, your ship will hover, spinning in a fixed position, which is not recommended. Exclamation point. The red button on your joystick is used to fire your ship's laser blaster. Uh, the thing with that is, you press the button to project the blaster from the bottom of your ship, and then you have to release the button to actually fire. The laser blaster can be aimed by holding the button down and moving the joystick left to right. This takes some getting used to. We played another game recently that was kind of like that. And I'm me or you? Me. Maybe that was Encounter at L5, where you had to do that. It was kind of a two-step process to actually shoot something. You had to aim it and then fire it, and I found it really awkward to use. But this one wasn't too bad. I kind of liked it in this game. And then there's a reminder in, in the manual here. Uh, the blaster will not fire until the button is released. Your score is kept in the upper left-hand corner of the screen. You are awarded points for each attacker you destroy. As you progress through the, each game, attackers are worth more points, but they're also tougher to destroy. For each 1,000 points you gain, you're given a reinforcement ship. You can receive an unlimited number of reinforcements during the game, but you can only have six reinforcement ships on the screen at one time. No matter how many points you score, you must have less than six reinforcement ships before the computer will add to your fleet. The ground attack forces are equipped, and this is kind of cool. They're equipped with radar detection systems, which help them aim their lasers at your ships. If you allow your ship to hover in one place too long, the enemy will quickly line up your ship in its sights leading to disastrous results. By flying low to the ground, you can keep your craft under the radar. It's kind of freaky in the game. The ground, the little ground enemy forces, they just sit there and they don't do anything. And all of a sudden, they fire the laser, boom! And they almost always hit you. They almost never miss. It's kind of freaky. As the battle progresses, each new wave of enemy attackers has a stronger force field, which gradually forces your ship farther away from the ground, making it an easier target for the attacker's radar to spot. Your ship will be pushed higher and higher into space until you can't go any lower than the very top level. That's when you must be very quick to avoid enemy fire. Go very quick, like speedy quick. Even though your ship quickly loses altitude when you take a direct hit, uh, you can control the descent of your crippled ship and try to land on an attacker. That's kind of a cool feature, too. Even you know, as you're losing your, your life, you can still take out one more enemy force with your ship. Just crash into it. This accomplishes two objectives. First, it destroys the attacker, and second, it, it adds the value of the destroyed attacker to your point total. After your spaceship's been destroyed, it would be replaced by one of the remaining ships from your fleet, if any. When you're out of ships, the game is over. This isn't an easy game. It takes quick reflexes, concentration, and stamina. Good at that. We suggest you start out by taking some reconnaissance runs quickly over the attackers. The objective is to fire and fly and rack up as many points as possible. Duh. If you succeed in scoring 100,000 points or more, send us a picture of the television screen along with your name and address and you'll be admitted to the Activision Federation of Laser Blasters. If any of you, were out th- any of you out there were ever in the Activision F- Federation of Laser Blasters, let me know. 
and I can envy you from afar. What if they're next door? Score the maximum one million, and all points on the screen will be replaced with exclamation points. I do love exclamation points. What? You said something. What? You said and we'll envy, or whatever that word means. Envy. You from afar. And I said, what if they're our neighbors? Then you can't envy them from afar because they're not that far away. You got me, Sophie. If one of our neighbors is listening to this, first of all, and secondly, actually is in the Activation Federation of Laser Blaster, I will be so shocked that I will not have time to envy them. Why won't you have time to envy them? Because I'll be too busy being shocked. Alright, the manual finishes up with a lovely letter of encouragement from none other than David Crane himself. I like his haircut. Designer of Laser Blast. He's also the designer, was at that time, the designer of Dragster and Fishing Derby. Uh, we've done Fishing Derby on the podcast. We have not done Dragster yet. Uh, he prides himself in taking some of the most challenging game assignments possible. He will also, of course, go on to design the legendary, but not as legendary as Sophie. Of uh, course. Pitfall. But isn't Pitfall already... Well, all of these games were games a long time ago. When this one came out, Pitfall wasn't a thing yet. Weird, How huh? old is he? I have no idea how old he is. We'll figure it out. I think uh, I might be wrong about this. I think we may have seen him at the gaming class. I think he's one of the guests. So maybe you can ask him yourself. I know, I just blew Sophie's mind. Moving on. Mr. Crane tells us, as you will quickly discover, Laser Blast is a game not only of skill but also of endurance. There's really no time for taking breathers. And that brings me to my most important tip. Always keep your ship in motion and fire quickly. A moving object is much harder to hit than one standing still. Since the attackers are continuously aiming and firing, you must be quick enough to dodge their fire, move into attack position, and destroy their forces, then quickly move on. It is possible to stay in one place and fire quickly enough to destroy your attackers before they zero in on you, but this is a very tough strategy to execute and demands superior skill and concentration. None of those I have. <laughs> the game can get a little frustrating at times. Keep at it, and you'll soon be eligible for membership in the Activision Federation of Laser Blasters. That's a lot of big words. And take time out from your space battles to drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. I wonder if that was ever true. What does he mean by drop me a line? <laughs> You're so young. You see, Sophie, once upon a time, if people wanted to communicate in writing with each other, they actually had to write letters. Like, by hand. Or on a typewriter or something. And put it in an envelope, and put the address on it, and put a stamp. They had to lick the stamp. And, yeah, I know. Gross, huh? And stick it on the envelope, and put it in the mail, and wait however many days it took to get to the other person. And sometimes you refer to that as dropping a line. But now, what you if can they also say paper cut on their tongue? That was a definite risk. And you can also say drop a line to mean send an email. But in 1981, he wasn't talking about sending an email. No one sends emails anymore. Exactly. You were talking about writing a letter and sending it to him. And that is how you play Laser Blast. Pew! Yes, that's how the game sounds exactly. Good job. Yes! Alright. I accomplished something. Good for you. I'm proud of myself. You should be. Act uh, Activision re-released Laser Blast as part of its Activision Anthology video game made available for a number of consoles at various times in the 2000s. The game, Laser Blast, earned an honorable mention for Best Science Fiction Game in 1982 at the third annual Archie Awards. 8-Bit Central wrote that perhaps in the rush to launch a game that would compete with games like Asteroids, Galaxian, Space Invaders, and others, Activision released Laser Blast. Initially it seems good, but my, uh, minutes later you may be looking for a better game to play. It has various difficulty levels, but is fairly repetitive. The firing process is a little unnatural to me. Typically when you press the fire button, it fires. In Laser Blast, depressing, depressing the red button initiates firing. While the button is depressed, your ship hovers while you use the joystick to select the angle of fire. It takes me a while to become accustomed to two-stage firing. Final judgment. Activision's Laser Blast becomes repetitive much too soon. It has a few interesting elements, but they are not enough to counter the simple graphics and repetition of enemy bases. Even when the lure of a... Even with the lure of a space battle, you'll be happier saving the planet in another game. Why are they being so mean? Not to quibble with 8-Bit Central, but I think in this game you're not saving the planet, you're attacking the planet. Ha! You're wrong! <laughs> it's just a different of perspective. Difference of perspective, Sophie. 
What's the difference of perspective? Just a different way of looking thing, at things. So, like, if I'm looking at you like this, then you see the side of your face. But then if I go over here, then I see the back of your head. Sure. Atari HQ says that Laser Blast has some nice features, but there really isn't much variety in his gameplay. It's pretty much a dodge and fire action shooter. The graphics are not up to the standards that David Train set in later efforts, and the same can be said about the sound effects. Nevertheless, Laser Blast is a simple and addictive game, just not one of Activision's finest. That was mean. <laughs> are you feeling sad for Laser Blast? No. The, uh, the A to Z of Atari Games, uh, Atari 2600 Games Volume 1, noted that Laser Blast actually is a pretty unique space shooter and shows some early signs of the early originality that David Train is very well known for. But they also agree that while it's fun for a while, it gets repetitive and will remain one of Activision's least talked about titles. There are far better space shooters out there, and they give it 6 out of 10. Well, maybe I give you 6 out of 10. You know, like I said, maybe if I play it for hours and hours at a time, yeah, it would get repetitive. But I like these extra little features enough that I it would keep me playing for a while. I would have been happy to sit here this morning and play it. But he couldn't. Although, really, what I wanted to do this morning was sit here and play my new uh, Super Mario Nintendo 64 game. Uh, recently, I thought my kid, Henry, the other legendary kid that I have... But not as legendary But not as legendary as Sophie, uh, was complaining that he wanted a Mario game. So I went and found him one, Super Mario or Nintendo 64, because I have an old 64 that was just collecting dust, so I got out and I set it up. I only have a handful of games for it. Uh, well... And, well, now three, I guess. Um, but then it came in the mail, and I showed it to him. He's like, meh. But I'll play it. It looks fun. So I played that a little bit this morning, and it looks like a good time. Uh, so I really wanted to play that this morning. But it's hard to do an Atari podcast about a Nintendo game. So here we are. No, it's um, not. It's just awkward. <laughs> Thank you, Sophie. not hard. Don't argue. I'm the host. But I'm a celebrity. Fair enough. Not a celebrity. So I played Laser Blast a little bit too, and I could see sit being happily, uh, you know, happily playing that for quite a while before I got bored with it. But uh, to each his own, I guess. So here's how it works. So you would be a celebrity, but you're not because you've done like a hundred thousand of these. So your people are like used to you. So yours kind of meh. But me, <laughs> he's laughing at me by the way. But me. I'm a celebrity because I only make rare appearances on here. So I'm a celebrity. Okay. So the game is called Laser Blast, which got me thinking about lasers. Physicists... Like laser tag? Kind of like laser tag. Physicists have been working on controlling shorter wavelengths, you know, and creating lasers, basically, for generations. After radio and radar uh, wavelengths, the logical next step was for them to figure out how to control infrared rays. They had developed something called Mazars, but they were more for military research than military industrial applications. Back in the 50s, a few few scientists thought that an infrared maser might be important and pondered how how to make one. Infrared rays could not be manipulated like radar and indeed were hard to manage at all. This dude named Charles Town thought about the problem, and one day in 1957, studying the equations for amplifying radiation, he realized that it would be easier to make uh, this happen with very short waves than with far infrared waves. We learned about waves in science. He started chatting with his brother-in-law, who was also a physicist, and his name was Arthur Shalo. Shalo figured out that you could put the atoms you wanted to stimulate in a long, narrow cavity with mirrors at each end. The rays would shuttle back and forth, inside that tube so that there would be more chances for stimulating atoms to radiate. One of the mirrors would be only partly silvered so that some of the rays could leak out. That same idea occurred to a dude named Gordon Gould, who was a graduate student at Columbia University in the 50s, and he chatted with Town also. For his thesis, Gould had already been working with pumping atoms to a higher energy state so that they would emit light. It wasn't long before Gould, Shalo, and Town understood how to build a laser in principle, but to actually build one would require new ideas and a lot of work. Physicists around the world were already working on the problem, and ingenious schemes started to come up to pump energy into atoms and molecules and gases and 
solid crystals. So in a way, these guys were the inventors of the laser, as were many others, all the way back to legendary, but not as legendary as Sophie. Obviously. Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein? He's not nearly as legendary as me. Lasers emit light through a process of optical amplification based on stimulated emission of electromagnetic radiation. Got that? No. Laser is an acronym for light amplification by stimulation, stimulated emission of radiation. That's a lot of words. The first actual laser was built in 1960, based, as I said, on the theoretical work of Town and Shalo. Among the many applications, lasers are used in optical disk drives, laser printers, and barcode scanners, DNA sequencing instruments, fiber optics, and free space optical communication, as well as laser surgery and skin treatments, cutting and welding materials, military and law enforcement devices for marking targets, and measuring range and speed, and laser lighting displays and entertainment. And as we'll come to find out in this game, they're also really good at blasting spaceships. I might have added that part to this article that I'm looking at. Quiet, you're learning things. See, on your day off from school, you're still learning things. Isn't that awesome? Actually, I'm not learning anything because I don't know what any of those words mean. (laughs) Um, I'll mention one more article that I looked at because this analogy is kind of cool. Lasers are more than just powerful flashlights. The difference between ordinary light and laser light is like the difference between ripples in your bathtub and huge waves on the sea. If you move your hands back and forth in a bathtub, you can make strong waves. If you keep moving your hands and step with the waves you make, the waves get bigger and bigger. Imagine doing this a few million times in the open ocean. Before long, you'd have mountainous waves towering over your head. A laser does something similar with light waves. It starts off with weak light and keeps adding more and more energy so the light wave becomes even more concentrated. What does concentrated mean? More tightly packed. Oh, so it's like that one orange juice commercial. Where they concentrate, like, 16 oranges into orange juice. Sure. One time, we went to this restaurant, the Golden Hen or something. It's a good restaurant. You should go. But anyways, we got to make our own orange juice. Yes, and that's exactly like making lasers. Yes, because you have to concentrate the oranges. I'm not weird. Now, here's the interesting thing. I did a little poking around on the internet... And I see lots of articles about using lasers to propel ships. But I don't see anything that says you could actually have, like, a space battle with lasers. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't think know that's... what that means. Well, I didn't really study these articles in detail, but basically they're saying that you could somehow use the laser light to move the ship into space. You don't know that? Is that what they normally do? Not exactly. But I don't see anything in here about actually using lasers as like a weapon to like, you know, for like space battles. We're not in Star Wars. That's what I'm saying. I don't see anything that says you could do that. When it comes to Star Wars, he's kind of a nerd. Anyway, if there's any uh, physicists out there who know more about the weapon potential of lasers, email me because it's kind of interesting. All right. Well... Let's get on to the second half of the show. After the break... Wait. What? There's a second half? Yeah. The first half took long enough. We're just getting started, baby. After the break, (sighs) we're going to have a blast. A laser blast, that is. Huh? Huh? Wasn't as funny as my cow joke. folks, Jimmy here from Jimmy's Laser Barn, where the party's just getting started. So head on down, because at Jimmy's, we don't just have lasers, we have laser blasts. This feels to me a little bit like a thinking man's space shooter. Um, it's 1981 space shooter, of course. The graphics are pretty basic, but there are some nice little touches. The overall game is kind of like Missile Command, but you're on the other side. I'm not complaining, because I really like Missile Command. There, I just took a shooter out with my ship, which is one of the nice touches. 
Uh, the game's over already, so I'm going to start it again. The aiming with the button before you fire takes a little getting used to. But once you do, it's kind of nice. I like the deadly accuracy of the uh, anti-aircraft guns on the ground. They just kind of sit and wait until they can see you in the radar and then they blast you and almost never miss. I like the detail work. When your shot misses, or when your ship crashes, kicks up some dust on the ground. That's kind of cool. You know, the, the ships are basic looking, but, you know, does the job. Man, ah, ah man, I missed it. Took him out with my crashing ship. Take that. Let me do this one more time. Um, so yeah, I've only played this a, a little bit this morning. I'm not great at it yet. Um, but for a basic shooter, there's enough details here and enough of a challenge that I would keep going with this for a while. I think some of the reviews talked about it being a little repetitive after a while. And I suppose after I played this for hours and hours and hours, I might feel like that. But I feel like I've I also feel like I've got a lot more hours to go before I get tired of this. Alright, well that's probably enough of that. I have blasted all I can blast. I can blast no more. So, back to you in the studio. Alright, so here's the thing about Laser Blast. I like the game. You know, we kind of covered this a little bit. Uh, yes, I can see where if you played a lot of laser blast, it might get a little repetitive. But I like the little details. I like that it's missile command from the top down. I like that there's those extra little details. You know, when you, the lasers hit the ground, it, it kicks up some dust. I think it's a good game. Uh, maybe not the best game ever, ever, but I think it's a good game. I think, like the one reviewer said, it does show start to show some of the creativity of David Crane. I got just good things to say about it, so... If you guys disagree, hit me up on social media or email and let me know why I'm wrong. Don't hit him. Or if you agree, definitely hit me up just to tell me that I'm brilliant. I'll be back. Don't miss me too much. I know you will, though. So, Laser Blast. An epic battle between attacker and foe, each side thinking that they're in the right. The futility of war, perhaps. And, of course, lasers. Lasers are really cool. Let's not kid ourselves. So, what's the story within this game? I think the story begins with an epic space battle. First Officer Lillian McTarg watched her captain collapse to the floor in a rainbow of colors bathed in laser light for the last time. Seemingly in slow motion, the laser blast singeing off both the captain's hair and then his head. How did we get here? McTarg thought. Orders, of course. It was always orders. Explore this nebula. Resupply this planet. Attack this other planet. No need to explain. Just arm the lasers and go. But now, as this planet's defense lasers carved up the hull of the stellar explorer, like so much roasted drev beast, her comrades dying in flashes of laser light, McTarg was no longer satisfied with orders. Now she wanted to know how. How did such death become possible? How? It's 1957. Arthur Shalo's fist hovers over the jukebox as he senses just the right spot. A gentle but decisive tap and wake up little Susie by the Everly Brothers filled the diner. He grabbed the hand of the nearest Bobby Soxer and they bopped around the dance floor. I'm super cool, Shalo thought. But I'd look even cooler under a laser light show, whatever that is. Over in a corner booth, Gordon Gould sunk as low as he could, sipping sullenly on a cherry phosphate. He's so cool, Gould muttered. Why can't I be that cool? After all, I did develop the process that raised atoms to a higher level, more substantial than infrared. Well, yes, Gould's buddy Potsy Weber said through a mouthful of french fries, but Gould did discover that putting atoms 
in a narrow cavity with mirrors at either end to stimulate them would be an effective device. That's pretty great. Sit on it, Potsy. It's true, Potsy pouted. Gould took a long, slow slurp of his phosphate. Whatever, Gould said. Potsy was confused by the phrase. Whatever what? Gould slammed his glass down on the table. Lasers were his thing, darn it. Sure, Shayla was cool. Mr. Leather Jacket, Mr. 57 Chevy in the parking lot with the sunroof he lasered himself. Mr. Johnny Switchblade Adventure Punk. Um, what? Potsy said. Yeah, that last thing might be something else, Gould said. Anyway, it was time to take his turf back from Shalo. That letter on his school sweater was a G, not an S, after all. Which didn't have anything to do with anything, since the school was called Garfield High. But it was too late to back out now. Gould stood, locking his knees, but almost fell over anyway. His glasses were a little smudgy, but he looked in the general direction of Gould, who was wooing a girl in a poodle skirt with poodles that were drawing equals MC squared on little chalkboards. Hey, Shalo, Gould said in a voice that squeaked a little more than he'd like. He cleared his throat a little and went on. <clears throat> I challenge you to a dance-off. The previously noisy diner full of chatty patrons and clattering dishes was suddenly silent. Shalo smirked in Gould's direction. A pregnant pause. Then the slightest nod of assent. Hit it, he commanded. Six members of Gould's entourage raced to drop quarters into the jukebox. The other people dancing cleared the way as Bye Bye Love by the Everly Brothers filled the silence and the two scientists busted out their best moves. Through the works of the Everlys, Elvis, Sam Cooke, and many others, the two physicists redefined dance with their mathematically precise jitterbug, Lindy, and a twist with gyrations that resonated on a wavelength that made the other diner's teeth rattle. The men were perfectly matched, step for step. The only awkward moment was when, while slow dancing to Pat Boone's love letters in the sand, Shayla's hand kept sliding down to Gould's butt. The dance-off went on for hours. Finally, sweat-drenched and exhausted, the two men agreed to a truce. Who gave in first is lost to history. Hey, everybody. Henry's just wandered into the podcast studio. You want to say hi? Sup. <laughs> What's up with you? Sup. <laughs> All right. Like your hat? I do. Henry just gave me a uh, pseudo hat. I'm not done yet. Okay. Let me know when it's finished. All right. Report back when it's done. Sup. Sup. What's up is I'm trying to read this great story. Anyway, where was I? The dance-off went on for hours. Finally, sweat drenched and exhausted, the two men agreed to a truce. Who gave in first was is lost to history. The men left the diner together vowing to share their research in hopes of creating the most powerful lasers they could create to benefit mankind. As Shalo's Chevy rode away with the two men on their way to their place in history, the door to the diner kitchen burst open and physicist Charles Town, developer of the first microwave amplifier, similar to the laser but with microwave radiation instead of infrared, and part-time short-order diner cook, known for killer patty melts, ran out into the parking lot wiping his hands on a towel. He looked around. Hey, Town said, what about me? But the other physicists were already gone. A patron shouted to Town. I need more onion rings. Town sighed. Damn, I was so close this time. Those rings aren't going to cook themselves. Far, far in the future, First Officer McTarg's look of horror was replaced with one of confusion. What the F was that? She said. That tells me nothing. But at that exact moment... The Stellar Explorer was reduced to atoms by a massive laser blast, all except for one lone onion ring that survived intact and is still floating through the icy depths of space. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Show notes are available at ataribice.lipson.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And of course, we also have various weirdness on our Instagram page. So go check that out as well. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, which you know by now. But please, wherever you get your show, don't forget to 
set your lasers on stunningly high praise in a review on iTunes. It helps the algorithm find us and recommend us to other listeners, and it just makes the world a better place. You can also support the show financially, which I hope you'll consider doing, on our Patreon page, or by picking up Atari Bytes, go play some old games they've missed you shirts, and other stuff at our Zazzle.com store with the roll-off-the-tongue name of capital A, capital B, underscore pod, underscore store. And if you have time, as Sophie mentioned earlier, she would mention again here, except she's 12 and she got bored and wandered away. So I will do it for her. Uh, please go check out my other podcast. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, is what that thing is called. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month, and it covers pretty much anything you'd ever want to know about Charlie Brown and Snoopy and the gang. All right, next time on Atari Bytes. So. <laughs> What's up? As I was about, I was about to finish the podcast. What's up with you? Dude. You finished my hat. Tell you what, I may use a picture of this to put on today's Instagram post. Oh, I can make a Charlie Brown one. We'll see. What was I saying? Oh, next time on the podcast, we're celebrating the release of the new Rampage movie. Do you remember the game Rampage, Henry? That's yeah. the one with the gorilla and it the wolf. It was a commercial of the Rampage movie. Yeah, the movie's coming out in April. So next time on the podcast, we're going to play Rampage the game. Maybe you can join us I for that one. I played that before. I know, but we're going to do it for the podcast. So maybe you can do, join us, and then uh, maybe at some point we'll see the movie. I think it's like rated R. I don't think so. We'll talk about it later. So next time on the podcast, we're playing Rampage, uh, which is a 7800 game. So that'll be fun. So until next time, go play some old games. Sup. <laughs> They've missed you. Sup. I said that. <laughs> Thank you.